went headfirst into the oil business. So I went exploring, trying to find better lubricants. Started making our own stuff, and it was pretty good. But then I found something that was really, really good. They were making that in his garage back there, a one-car garage. Humble beginnings for Indiana's first family of oil. Lucas Complete Engine Treatment is a multifunctional cleaner plus lubricant from the labs at Lucas Oil. The Lucases have come a long way from those early days of perfecting the ingredients it takes to make engines hum. Intercepted. Colts are going to the Super Bowl. Tipped and batted. Gronkowski can't get it. Incomplete. And the New York Giants given the last rights by many in December are the Super Bowl champs in February. The Lucas family name now branded on the Indianapolis Stadium, synonymous with NFL thrillers. Like father, like son, Morgan Lucas now taking a leadership role in the family business. We get his insight on the early years, what Lucas Oil Stadium has meant to the business and what's next on this edition of the Business and Beyond podcast. Your top fuel champion for Indy is Morgan Lucas. Well, you could say the apple didn't fall far from the tree. Morgan Lucas, son of self-made oil guru Forrest Lucas, trading his racing chops to drive the family business forward. It's a company with deep roots in Indiana, and now Morgan finds himself steering the ship as president of Lucas Oil Products. And I'm really pleased to be joined on the Business and Beyond podcast this week by Morgan Lucas. Morgan, uh, welcome. Thanks for having me on the show, Gary. A absolutely. Uh, hey, big news. You, you all are making big news. I want to get into Lucas Oil, Lucas Oil Products, because it is an interesting company uh, with a lot, of, uh, a lot of products, a lot of moving parts. But the big news, and I know you're physically here now, but Lucas Oil Products, headquartered in California for many years, is now an Indiana-headquartered company, right? Yes, sir. Uh, you know, my, my parents are both from Indiana originally. I was born here. We founded the company in California. Uh, but as many know, California is a, a difficult state to operate and do business in. Um, costs just got uh, a little bit out of control. And to be honest with you, this is where we feel that from our standpoint as management, my wife and I, my parents, and the majority of our team and personnel, this is a great place to be. It's wholesome. It's fun. Um, very business friendly. And it gives us a lot of opportunity for growth. Talk about Lucas Oil products uh, because you have the lubricants and uh, all the various products you're known for, but you're into everything from production, television, you're doing a lot of things. Give us kind of a thumbnail sketch uh, of the company. Well, uh, you know, the way we talk about it here is that Lucas Oil is the mothership and uh, everything else kind of feeds off of that. We have Mad TV, it's a great television network that broadcasts. Uh, a lot of grassroots motorsports, but we're expanding outside of that, trying to create some fun original content that that people want to see, keep them entertained, but also learn more and educate themselves more in the motorsports world um, and automotive in general. 
we feel part of our responsibility with a network like this is to try to help educate the next generation of DIY people. You know, maybe there's some self-serving points in there. Uh, we also have a, a working cattle ranch in Missouri. It's in my father's passion project. He grew up at a young age, I should say, working cattle and and knowing the ins and outs of that. So this is uh, something he's very passionate about. You know, we have our own small fleet of trucks. You know, it's funny because I feel like we're involved in a little bit of everything. Real estate, it's kind of a, a you name it. And if there was an opportunity, we jumped in. But our specialty is trying to solve problems for people with, you know, top quality lubricants. Yeah. And uh, again, this is a company uh, your dad, your mom founded and has grown in a in a great way, as mentioned earlier, headquartered in California now. But when you're talking about leadership, production facilities, Indiana really is home now. It is 100% home. It was a tough decision to wind down our California operation, but we realized that from an efficiency standpoint that right here in Indiana, this is where we needed to be. You know, we have an office in Indianapolis, South Carmel, North Indianapolis. I don't know, really. Uh, <laughs> you got to look at the map to figure out where, where we actually are at, but our zip code says Indy. But we love being here, our affiliation with the Colts and the stadium and, and how deep our roots have grown into this community. My wife is heavily involved in the philanthropic efforts that we we have here, trying to help women and children and underserved people, um, trying to give back, really. And a lot of people do that now. And that's, that's special to me to know that this, you know, the culture of this world is to to look out for others, but I digress. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, you know, you mentioned having an Indianapolis address. It's probably important that, you know, in the world of motorsports, this really is in many respects ground zero. I mean, with so many teams and motorsports businesses and, and obviously Lucas Oil now a big part of that here in Indiana, I think there are 350 plus motorsports related companies that do business in Indiana. I, I assume there's there's maybe an advantage to that, to being located here where where there's so much racing. There is an advantage, especially when you consider the relationships that we have with a lot of our, our ambassadors. They're more than just racers to us. They're people that are representing our brand and t- helping us tell the story. You know, the PRI shows here, it's a big industry trade show for racing and motorsports. Um, the accessibility portion of that is amazing, but we're fans at the same time. We have a passion for motorsports. So being able to go to the 500, the U.S. Nationals, those are two big events in motorsports that happen right here in town. It's what brought me back here in 2005 when I first moved to Indiana was, uh, you know, my drag racing career at the time. And I have two kids, uh, two boys that are uh, into cars which is awesome. They've been helping me a little bit uh, restore 67 Chevelle. And we're, we're car family and car people. Not every employee we have here is probably as educated as maybe my father and I are on cars, but, and maybe they don't have the same passion, but it's okay. They, they realize that to be here, to be part of this, you, you, you have to know what we're all about. And, and realistically, we can take some of the technology we learned from motorsports and we can apply it to the everyday consumer and their vehicles and, you know, we tell a story and, and and the story is that we're all about helping people with their cars and, and make them last longer because that's why we developed them in the first place. You're an executive now uh, leading Lucas Oil, but you, as you mentioned, you were a racer uh, from an early age. As I did a little, little research, you started your interest in cars and racing at the age of 10. Is that, is that right? That's that's true. Um, my dad raced a dirt track cars. That was his hobby when the company was first gearing up. It was an affordable, fun hobby that we would spend 
you know, our Fridays and Saturday nights out in Ventura, California, which is about a two hour drive for us. But we'd go out there and I'd watch my dad trade paint with guys. Saw my dad get rolled over, get tires. Really? What kind of car, what kind of cars was he he racing? Hobby stocks. Um, you know, and, and he had a lot of fun with that and he did a great job and it kind of, you know, inspired this passion in me to want to compete. And I got into drag racing because at a young age, it was, it was accessible. They were loud, they were mean, they had fun smells that came out of them and (laughs) parts were bigger. And it's just, uh, as a kid, it's a sensory overload really. And again, that accessibility is a big deal. And, um, once you get into drag racing and you get into the mechanics of it and you feel that exhilarating sensation of going fast, it gets in your veins, you know, it's it's a drug. Uh, in so many ways you were more than just uh you know a, a hobby or a passing participant in racing uh, you had some real successes uh i know you won the top fuel class at the u.s nationals right in 2015 i mean that is that is a big deal that was uh my biggest win and my last win uh until i hung up the helmet and it was a very special uh, uh, win all the way around, but we've, we've got a, a quite a few wins in different categories and different things. And I say we, because it's a team effort all the way around. I, I just get to be the guy that takes a credit at the end of the racetrack, but it, it takes a village to make that kind of stuff happen. But my wife, my, my son, at that point, my wife, we just realized we we're pregnant with our second at that win at the U S nationals. And, and I got to take my son up on stage after the, uh, after the win uh-huh. and, uh, it, it's probably one of the coolest memories I, I've ever had and, uh, or I thought I'll ever have really going forward. You know, he's going to be too young to remember it, but we got some cool pictures to, to, you know, <laughs> that with. yeah, that's neat. And how special it must've been uh, to win it uh, at uh, a place called Lucas oil raceway, right? Yeah. We're, we're shameless. We put our name on just about anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, th- that track has got so much history. It's been around for so long. We have such a tight relationship with the NHRA and Glenn Cromwell, John Saragusa, the guys that we deal with on a regular basis over there. They um, have done a good job picking the sport up and adapting it to what I think is a very difficult space for motorsports in general now. Social media can both complement and hinder uh, motorsports because we depend on television. We depend on getting our, our vehicles in front of a lot of eyeballs and and when the results are so accessible now, people aren't as engaged as they used to be. And there's so much great entertainment sitting there on television that people are passing up that I think that, you know, to see the way that these sanctioning bodies are adapting to that and trying to find ways to bridge those gaps and, and, and merge the two together, they've done a really good job with that. Racing is obviously a dangerous sport. Fear is part of it. Did you have any serious incidents, serious crashes? How how did you deal with that that part of of racing? You know, the good thing for me is I was too young and dumb. Whenever I had anything <laughs> bad happen, I rolled a car at about 175 and got knocked out and airlifted to the hospital when I was about 17. You know, you you don't care about that stuff. You just get up and go. You don't have a wife. You don't have kids or a big mortgage at that age. So you just keep going. And, um, that's kind of a blessing at the time, but it did teach me to respect the car more, um, to understand that. But, you know, I've been on fire, uh, you know, I've done big wheel stands. I've had my head rattled quite a few times and I can say, looking back at it, I probably got away with a lot, could have been hurt a lot worse at times, but drag racing is one of those sports that you're not supposed to make contact with anybody else. So that's a good thing. 
but it did weigh a lot on on the decision to stop racing. You know, I had kids, had a wife, and and at that point, there was not a really great time to stop doing that, especially when you're as invested from a a, a life and career standpoint. But my my family business, my parents' business, you know, and the family that we have, this is a very important thing to all of us. And it's to keep this going, to be the next generation was a an opportunity that I couldn't pass up and nor did I want to. I, I want to be able to have a place for my kids to go work someday. Yeah. And you, as I recall that you that went at the US Nationals in twenty fifteen. You had a t- you part had a team. You were a team owner uh, as well as a driver, and then you as- actually disbanded the team about a year later, right? That was uh, I know you you talk about that as being really a pretty gut wrenching decision. It was, uh, you know, it's like anything else. People, you know, you spend all your time around whenever you're at work during the day. If you're at the shop here in, in Indy, or if you're on the road, it's a fraternity, and it's one that. We were all very close. A lot of great memories with these guys. You know, when you win, it's it's a pinnacle of emotion, right? And you're sharing that emotion with this group of people that you're around. So to to shut that down, to share that bad news with that group was tough. Yeah, and it felt almost I don't know how to explain it, but it, it it was it was probably one of the hardest things I've had to do is to to share that news with them. But they all understood how hard it was for me, and, and they made it easier for me. The guys that I had at the time were family and their family from my wife. And, you know, I'll, I'll never be able to recreate those years, but I, I will say that it, it was a privilege to have them. Motorsports uh, is a sport, obviously, but it is also very much a business, as you, you just talked about there. As you look at the state of motorsports, kind of generally as it exists today, whether it's NHRA, IndyCar, NASCAR, whatever the the series how, how would you assess the state of motorsports in 2023? I feel personally like grassroots motorsports has made a an actual surge. And I think people have gotten burned out a little bit by the over commercialization of motorsports at times, you know. But I think some series are doing a really good job finding ways to, as I mentioned before, complement the sport. Um, IndyCar is doing a very good job. I think building a next the next generation of young stars to come out and represent the brand series. I think that you know you can give a lot of credit to to Mr. Penske and everything that he's done for it. Uh, he, he doesn't go at it with a self serving attitude. I don't believe. I think he's doing it genuinely for what's best for something that he cares about. Um, I've had the chance to meet him, and I, I hold him in high regard just because of I think his hands on approach and overall um, just attitude and demeanor for having everything be as first class as it possibly can be. You know, we're a company that believes in delivering a quality product and and he's the same way with, I think, everything that he does. And uh, NASCAR, you know, that's a sport that grew so fast. Right. And yeah. I think that they're in a, uh, an equalizing situation right now. You know, sometimes things can be oversaturated, but I think NASCAR is doing a really good job managing the balancing act that that is happening in this world the, to that point, the equalizing of the marketplace for motorsports in general. And a lot of, you know, what's happened in the world, COVID, supply chain issues, that stuff does have its effect on motorsports and, and, and what happens in those scenarios because the dollar is being utilized in different areas. And, you know, consumers, they have needs. And sometimes spending that on a ticket or going out and buying, you know, that ticket, your your, your beer gets expensive after a while. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, 
I think motorsports will survive all the changes that have happened, but I think we're in a weird transition right now. You mentioned the Roger Pinsky acquisition of, of, of IMS. What, what do you think that will mean for the future? Certainly the Holman George family over the decades have done so much to build uh, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and so much around it. As you look now at the future of that venue, what it means, what it can mean, how, how do you sense that that taking shape in the in the coming years? You know, uh, the Holman George family did a great job getting it to where it was. And what I truly think is that Roger Penske, and this is no slight to the Holman George family, but you're, you're talking the single percentile of the single percentile of genius businessmen over the history of the world, you know. Um, and he is probably, he's very humble when it comes to that as well. But I think you can compare it to the likes of a lot of highly successful Fortune 500 people in this world, and because he is one. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I think handing that over to his group and uh, the the amazing hiring that they do, I think could take it to uh, a lot of new levels, um, negotiating deals, whether it's television contracts or looking at it from uh, a very open-minded perspective of, of what's there and what the p- potential could be. And he can look at it from both the team owner and uh, the series owner perspective and do the right thing with it. I believe that's happened in other series throughout the history of sports. And I don't think it turned out as well as I think this could. Good. It'll be interesting to watch it play out indeed in the coming uh, months and years. We've got much more with Morgan Lucas, Lucas Oil Stadium, uh, and a lot more coming up uh, when the Business and Beyond podcast returns. At PNC Bank, we're committed to making a difference in the lives of our customers and communities by helping them move forward financially. As a Main Street Bank, we try to do right by our customers with every encounter. Our local teams offer personalized financial advice to help guide you in making the best decision. We're proud to be part of your community. PNC Bank. See how we can make a difference for you at PNC.com. Copyright 2022, the PNC Financial Services Group, Inc. All rights reserved. Welcome back to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. My guest this week, Morgan Lucas, the president of Lucas uh, Oil Products, uh, two years uh, running now as leading uh, the company. And uh, Morgan, you, you mentioned earlier that you you grew up in Indiana or you were born in Indiana. I didn't realize that. Tell me about that. Yeah, I was born in Indiana. My father and mother is prior to starting Lucas Oil. They lived in Southern Indiana. My mother was a, a, a hairstylist. Uh, she she cut hair. Um, that's actually how she and my father met. <laughs> um, my father was a, a long haul, you know, truck driver. Had been for a, quite a number of years and had a small trucking company of his own. And when he started formulating Lucas Oil with the products for his own use and, and for his own trucks, and, and and this came from a necessity perspective because he was driving across the desert and overheating was a problem on tons of vehicles. And sure, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that friction plays a big part in that. So he he worked with people. He did a lot of um, self re, you know studying and research and made a concoction that worked. And that's when my mother said, "Hey, uh, if it works so good for you, maybe we should let other people try it." And that's when we realized that we need to make this move to California because that's where the materials that he needed were at. 
So when I was about two and a half, uh, they moved out there. They basically did everything they could, reinvested everything they could into that company to get it off the ground and rolling. And uh, it's amazing to see this kind of humble beginnings story that I was really too young to know and remember. Mm -hmm. I still remember watching my dad's next to the fax machine and big orders would come through and he would just celebrate. And he knew that he was on to something special. And uh, his level of work ethic is really what got this company to where it's at. My mother as well. I mean, we used to make deliveries in a day cab, you know, not or just a regular pickup, you know, a single cab pickup with a long bed and oil in the back. We'd drive to two or three hours at times, me sitting in the passenger seat, just making drop-offs. And that's just how it was. It was a family affair. Yeah. How did that, uh, it had to have a tremendous impact on you from a number of, of standpoints. What an entrepreneurial, true entrepreneurial success story that is, as you mentioned, from the ground up, grassroots, hard work, all those types of things. Uh, I'm sure that's that's had a big impact on, on the person you are today. I feel like that I had just enough opportunity to watch my parents struggle at a young age. And when I say struggle, I mean that they, we always ate, we always had the food that we needed, but it was one of those things that there wasn't a lot of expendable income. It was, you know, everything went right back into the company. That's a big deal because I don't necessarily live that life now. You know, we're very blessed, but you always need to keep that in the back of your mind. I think some of the most successful people in this world are people that are are working from a place of necessity. You know, not everybody's type A, but there's a lot of people that know what it's like to have nothing and they don't want to be there again. And I think that my dad, um, who has worked basically his whole life, uh, he worked two jobs in high school just to help um, my grandmother and his sisters, my aunts. You know, my mother was the same way. She she was a single mom for a while prior to meeting my father and then having me. So, you know, my parents have lived a lot of different things in their life, but I, I think trying to stay grounded in that, knowing that, you know, that's a big driver in what we do as a company. You know, they know that saving a penny or making something last longer and doing the right thing by their equipment to make, you know, maintain it will help them um, be more prosperous from a, a business standpoint. And when I say that, I mean, like if you're a truck driver, if you own your own truck or if you own your own small fleet or or large fleet, if you can make your equipment go another 100,000, 200,000 miles from a semi standpoint, gosh, that's just money back in your pocket. And it helps you reinvest and helps you grow. And that, that was a big driver for my parents. Yeah. What was growing up in California like? How did you into sports? <laughs> Obviously, you got into racing, but in in any other sports, what was what was growing up uh, in California like? California is an interesting state. There's some really beautiful, fun, uh, happy, safe feeling areas in California, but there's a lot of people. Yeah, and you can't get on the highway anywhere and get anywhere in any remotely reasonable amount of time, and. Growing up out there, I was kind of jaded by that. I didn't really know. It was a much more loose, crazy place to be. And when I made the move to Indiana, I remember looking for a house, my first house I purchased, and driving through neighborhoods, trying to figure out where I wanted to be, what side of town, you know, what it all looked like. And I remember driving through and people were raking leaves as the fall. And I remember specifically this one woman in her front yard looked up, waved at me as I drove by. And I was like, maybe she thought she knew me. 
<laughs> I know it's like there's no way, you know, I'm driving in a very generic car uh, and I, you know, I'm this kid that's driving through here and she probably has no clue. She was just being nice. And yeah. girls, that's not something that you get in California. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. But that's just a description of the the mentality of people in Indiana versus California. And it's not to knock California. Again, a lot of great people. Yeah. There's just so many people. And, you know, you can deal with great weather and grow up with great weather, but there's something to be said about the culture, the environment that you're you're in that I think works wonders for, for one's mental state, really. Yeah. Yeah. And not to mention the cost of living, cost of doing business, uh, pretty striking, especially today. That's yeah, just, and I was specifically talking from a personal standpoint. Um, the business side of it, that's a that's a no-brainer. I mean, you see companies leaving the state left and right. Um, you know, free enterprise, entrepreneurial spirit, all those things, uh, they should be embraced. And then my parents' story is a prime example of that we're a family-owned business, we're not for sale, we won't be for sale. That's who we are. And we're not gonna be a publicly traded company. And you know, we're about the long haul, the foundation of, of a family business is such an important and critical thing to our entire environment. But in California, you know, when you start overly, when too many bureaucrats get involved, mm-hmm. uh, too much legislation comes out to, I think, hinder uh, the flexibility and opportunity for people. We're not, we're not sitting in the industrial revolution here. And, and you know, it, it's hard to be penalized for trying to do good work. Uh, and maybe I'm being overly harsh on California, but I, I don't think I'm alone when I say that. Yeah. Lucas Oil products, uh, very well known, certainly in the in the industry and in racing circles. But in 2000, I think it was 2008, was that the uh, when the naming rights uh, deal uh, went on uh, on the uh, brand new stadium in downtown Indianapolis? Now, Lucas Oil Stadium, I think a lot of people didn't necessarily know Lucas Oil. That's. That's changed a lot. What what is what is the naming rights on Lucas Oil Stadium meant to the meant to the company? It's been tremendous for us in a lot of ways. That uh, to your point, we were a company that was very involved in motorsports. Let me frame it like this: Try making oil cool and sexy. Uh, <laughs> and my father realized that a, a long time ago that we need to align ourselves with areas that are are cool, fun places. People want to be, you know, have our brand on things that people want to look at. And when the opportunity came up to, to put our name on, on the stadium, to partner with the Colts and in the city of Indianapolis, we knew there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be like, wait, who's this? What are they doing? But we wanted to get our name in front of those people. We wanted to, to diversify our reach. And I think that this partnership has done that for us. And the fact that we're an Indiana company, and even at that point in time, we were manufacturing products here. We had to plant our families from here. I have a lot of family in Columbus, Indiana, and Southern Indiana. People didn't know that about us. So there was a lot of people in the beginning that were scratching their heads. And, you know, Lucas Oil Stadium's kind of a, it's, it's a mouthful. Yep. But at the end of the day, we feel like it's a, a beautiful place to, you know, display our brand and, and some of the things that we've been involved in. This is a motorsports city. And when you walk into the Lucas Oil Plaza, you see all these amazing real race cars sitting around, again, showcasing some of the things that we've been involved in for a long time. But it also shows the, the magnitude of the amount of products that we offer, I think, to some degree as well, because, you know, we don't just put our name on sprint cars and NASCARs and 
airplanes and boats. We make products for them. And that's kind of the story that we're trying to tell. And we're trying to do a better job of that as well, of, of making more interactive and engaging for people uh, within the plaza. But I like to believe that our brand matches up with the the Indianapolis Colts football fan. Mm-hmm. A lot of ways, um, we just hope people get to take the chance to get to know that. What's next for Morgan Lucas in, in Lucas Oil, Oil Oil Products? What uh, as you look on the horizon, I know you've got a lot a lot of irons in the fire, a lot going on. What uh, how do you see the next? Uh, what do you see is the next big thing? Well, there's a, a lot of I'd say challenges facing our marketplace right now, um, whether they're political or they're just consumer based. We have to look at all those things. We are spending a lot of time trying to modernize our company from a standpoint of research, understanding the consumer, because we want to make sure that we're giving them the product that they need. So we have to pay attention to what the automotive market's doing, being able to source out these problems that are needed. But we're also trying to expand into industrial spaces. We've been in the agriculture space for a while, but we've been growing in that area. Our international base is growing as well. Actually, a a distributor right here. Uh, in Indianapolis, uh, and Tom Rier and his company called Tomad, they were already distributing automotive equipment to the Middle East, and they approached us about, you know, working products into their fold, Lucas Oil products. And uh, we've been with this partnership with them, have grown um, sales in the Middle East tremendously. And there's a passion for cars there that a lot of people don't understand. Everybody knows the Middle East is what they see on the news, but right. there's some really cool things that happen over there. And you know, we're we're just blessed to be able to to have the opportunity to pivot and and jump into these new spaces. But we're looking at everything from you know growing our, our product line into the hybrid space because uh, we feel strongly, and there are is a lot of research that can back this up. But EVs, as great as they are, they're being forced down a lot of people's throats right now. It's a very government backed you know program, and what people don't realize is that. The carbon footprint that goes into building an EV is so tremendous that it actually, I, I believe there's a TED Talks that you can find where Dylan is discussing the points of how EVs, it's, I think, it takes 400 to 450,000 miles on an on a EV that, that's capable of going three to 400 miles on range on a battery pack. It takes 450,000 miles for them to surpass an internal combustion engine in actual you know, carbon mm-hmm. uh, outputs. Okay, just the manufacturing process is so caustic alone. The cobalt that goes into a lot of these batteries are coming from unsavory situations in Africa. You know, not to say it at all is, but the, the whole point is that there's a lot of things that people don't know about that marketplace. So I feel personally that hybrids are the best solution for a better carbon footprint, a better environment for this world, because I think it creates a balance between the two spaces. And that's, again, where we strive to something that we're very passionate about right now is trying to develop, you know, the next generation of better products that maybe work in the hybrid space or work with all these smaller turbo engines to create the most efficient burn as possible to reduce NOx emissions to, you know, we care about the environment. We feel like our fuel treatments and oils have have done a lot of good over the years, kind of uh, fighting fire with fire, if you will. Uh, We're using oil products to stop leaks, to stop consumption, to you know, seal up you know loose rings and, and problems and engines that are causing a lot of these emissions issues. You know, a one foul injector on an engine will cause a lot of emissions problems, and we feel like we've had products for decades that will clean up those injectors and clean up the combustion chamber 
to help a better burn go, you know, clean up the pipe, if you will. And it's hard to say that because we've never really marketed on that and granted on that. And, and, and that's just because that's who we are. We want people to, you know, we don't want to be a gimmicky brand at all, but we, we do, we do support those, those issues. It's, it, it's hard right now. So when we look at what we're doing in the future, Lucas oil, uh, it's diversifying. It's looking at the modern marketplace of, of, of vehicles and where cars are and, and what the consumer wants. We're not going to tell the consumer what they need. We want to give them what they want and what they, you know, what they need to solve their problems to make their cars last longer. The average age of the vehicle on the road right now is what, 12 years? Mm-hmm. You know, that's a lot of miles. Yeah. And we can, I mean, we feel confidently we have products that could take that average age of vehicle up to 14 if we wanted to. So I don't want to pat myself on the back too much, but we we have good products that do what they say they're going to do. And we do feel like we holistically help the consumer and the space that we live in. Morgan Lucas, a self-described car guy, uh, leading Lucas Oil uh, products, and uh, very importantly, an Indiana headquartered company now also making those uh, those products here in Indiana. Morgan, it's been great to get to know you a little bit on the podcast, and thanks for all you do for Indiana as well. Uh, hey, thank you so much. Love being here. Love the people. Uh, you know, this is home. All right. Well, thank you for joining us on this edition of the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. It's a weekly conversation with achievers in business, sports, entertainment, and beyond. And you can download it at Apple or wherever you find your podcast. I'm Gary Dick. We'll see you next time.